The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 194. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a Time Lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Braveheart Change, my dear. And it seems not a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding! Position heedless. Wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Panelzy! I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Ta-da! She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the first Doctor story, The Rescue. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? Very well, thanks. So, uh, folks, I want to start by reminding you that uh, you should remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who and retweet us on Twitter where we're at SQPN and uh, make sure to leave comments and, and in, engage with us on our social media. We love to have uh, back and forth and feedback with you on social media. I also want to remind you that uh, we are at 194 episodes. Uh, our podcast feed holds, if you go to iTunes or Stitcher or any place, those places like that, you'll see the last 100 episodes there. And if you want to listen to the earlier episodes, you can. They're all on our website so at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. But there is also a special podcast feed. So if you go to sqpn.com slash Doctor Who, there's a special feed of the first 100 episodes there. And then uh, once we hit 200 episodes, then there'll be a, another link to a special feed that holds the first, the, the second 100 episodes. That's just a matter of, of keeping things neat and tidy and keeping our server running very efficiently these days. So uh, if, you, if you were interested in going back to see those, that's where you'll find them. All right. So we're, but we're talking today about this first Doctor story, The Rescue. Uh, and it's, it's not the beginning of a new season, technically. This is the third serial of the second season of Doctor Who. But from a behind-the-scenes production point, standpoint, they had taken a break before this one, right? They, this was mm. the, after the first year of production. They took a bit of a break, and uh, then they came back to this. Uh, story is my understanding. Hmm. Well, it definitely kind of feels like a, a kind of a fill-in because it's it's only a two-parter. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And it's very limited sets. I mean, there's there's one primary set, one kind of you know cave type set, and then the TARDIS. Pretty much. Yeah. And what it's significant for is this is our first com- first new companion this is our first companion changeover mm-hmm. yes because uh susan had left in the previous serial so we came back to begin the second season with a big dalek multi-parter that was a send-off for susan because uh the actress you know didn't think her character was getting enough development and so she so she wanted to leave caroline ford and so now we get maureen o'brien a new actress coming in as a new companion in the young person slot right and and this is very significant 
I've read some analysis of this that, in a way, this is kind of like when Patrick Troughton took over for William Hartnell, which was our first doctor changeover. This is our first companion changeover. And Maureen O'Brien is a different character than Susan. She is not, she, number one, she doesn't have the grandfather relationship to William Hartnell. But number two, she's much spunkier. She is, she is not as vulnerable emotionally, certainly not in this two-parter, as Carol Ann Ford's Susan was. And so she has more agency. She's, she, I mean, she's the one who's taking care of everything. You know, she's taking care of herself and a disabled man in a hostile environment when mm-hmm. we first meet her. So she's mm-hmm. already kind of on top of her game. And that, and she's the first companion who is traveling, and this is key. She's in a way like Patrick Troughton set the model for future doctors. Maureen O'Brien as Vicky sets the mold for future companions because she wants to travel. Right. And that doesn't so much come out in this episode, but it, it will in later ones where she's here for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. She's not here because she loves her grandfather and wants to go with him and take care of him. She's not here because she's been kidnapped by the doctor. She's here voluntarily and is looking forward to adventure. And that really sets the mold for future companions. Yeah, she's the first companion invited by the doctor to go along, you know, that he picks up along the way. She's also the first companion. uh, Well, you could say that Susan was not from our time, but, you know, who's from a a human from a different time period, which is another significant thing that they start doing she's from the 25th century which is nice and i like one there's a little little kind of a little uh it goes by really quick but there's a little verbal reference to the cultural differences Mm. between her time and ours just on the level of naming because when she meets barbara and says my name is vicky barbara says oh short for victoria and she just says no v-i-c-k-i it's like yeah. Vicky has drifted enough from its historical mm-hmm. origin that it's now just a short name. Like, my name is just Jimmy, not James. Right. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think it's kind of interesting, too, um, that there wasn't a just an Ian and Barbara story in between. Yeah. That they went, they went right, from right from Susan one. to Vicky. And that's something yeah. that, that I think is kind of interesting in, in our time now, because, we, of course, we've had like the specials, the David Tennant specials, where he doesn't have a permanent companion at that moment. You know, we have the mm-hmm. one-off with, with uh, Donna, which she regularly becomes a permanent companion. He has the, the burglar one and all these other, you know, little one-off stories right. without, mm-hmm. without his regular companion. But this, we don't see that here. They also, of course, do pay tribute to Susan in this episode. Uh, and because, and I'd have to check the air dates, but, you know, typically these things were aired one week after the previous one. And so if you missed an episode, it's like, wait, what happened to Susan? Why isn't she in this? So they do they do explain that, that the doctor has left Susan with a guy named David, who's apparently going to be her new husband. Mm -hmm. And there's this moment early on when they're in the TARDIS. And I know we'll get to this scene in a moment, but there's this early on in the TARDIS, there's a scene where the doctor is getting ready to open the doors and we're all going to go outside and he calls for Susan. Mm hmm. Yeah, and then realizes she's not there, and he looks hurt for a moment, and and Barbara kind of like comforts him a little bit. And to me, this really rang true because if you've ever lost somebody you that you've been living with, 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you will call out for them and expect them to be there, and they're not. I remember after my wife died, during our marriage, she had had health problems. And without really realizing it, I had gotten into the habit of looking, like if I'm in a store, or especially a drugstore, but if I'm in a store, looking at things through the lens of, could this make Renee's life easier? Mm. Mm. And like six months after she died, I was visiting family in Texas. We uh, went into town and we went into a supermarket, uh, into a uh, drugstore, and I started picking up objects, realize, looking at them, so, oh, this could make Renee's life easier. And then I would realize she's no longer with us. Yeah. Mm. And so that moment when, when, and I would have this moment of, you know, anguish. And that moment when the doctor calls out for Susan and then realizes she's not there, it's like, I grok that. I have been there. Right. Mm-hmm. right. I have to say, William Hartnell, apparently, you know, the, getting that, this rest that they got, he had a lot more energy in this. He mm-hmm. seemed a little, even a little more on the ball uh, than, than mm-hmm. usual, uh, you know, the, than the last several serials that they've done. I think that that rest really did him good. Even as the episode starts with him sleeping through the landing. Yes. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and, 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 and Ian talking to Barbara in an aside is like, I think the doctor's getting a little bit and he starts shaking his hand like it's <laughs> quavering on a yeah. cane head or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can hear you. <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, on the timing. So the, the previous episode, the, the last uh, episode of Dalek Invasion of Earth was the 26th of December, 1964. Mm-hmm. So the day after Christmas, Boxing Day, and then this one is the day after New Year's Day, the first episode of this. So you yeah. can so you can imagine that there might have been people who just missed it because it's Christmas and you know the, right. the holidays yeah. and that sort of stuff. So that would be a, another good reason too. And, and it and it's good that they you know noted the lingering consequences of losing Susan on the show. She mm-hmm. got more of a of, of a post episode send off. Than Tasha Yar did on Next Gen. <laughs> that's right. And it's like watch the next episode. No explanation of what happened last week. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, so well, let's start with this episode. That starts with a, a starship, uh, a spaceship that's crashed. We see a, a crash. Although the uh, radar dish on top is still working. And Vicky, this girl, the, uh, the actress is about twenty-two at the moment. I'm not sure mm-hmm. how old Vicky is supposed to be, but late teens, early twenties. Right, middle teens, you know, fifteen, sixteen, somewhere in there. Yeah, they they play her younger. So she runs into the ship, and she's excited to tell this other guy who's who's there, Bennett, that the rescue ship has arrived, and he doesn't believe her. Uh, and we and we also find out the planet is called Dido. And uh, he gives her all kinds of reasons why it can't be the rescue ship. You know, it's it takes it's not time for it. Uh, we'd have to, you know, have it land, you know, give give it landing instructions. It turns out it's the TARDIS that's that is what's being detected, not the rescue ship. And then he warns Vicky about this person he calls Coquillion, who doesn't know about the rescue ship and would kill them if he found out it was coming. So make sure you don't say anything to Coquillion about the rescue ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so she radios the rescue ship, and and it's confirmed that they're still sixty nine hours away. So. That can't possibly be them who who has come. Yeah. Uh, By the way, the name Dido, for people who may not be familiar, it's from Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. Um, Dido was the like queen of Carthage 
in modern Tunisia, yes. and she figures in the Aeneid by Virgil. And it's interesting that we start with Vicky in a mythologically themed context mm -hmm. because she's going to go out in a mythologically themed context. In fact, she's part of like, I think, nine serials. Mm. Yeah. And her final one is The Mythmakers, and she becomes a character from mythology. She becomes the historical basis for a famous mythological figure. Mm. But we can talk about that when we get there. No spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've already looked at the <laughs> the bio yeah. on, on the site. Uh, on uh, TARDIS Wikia. Uh, so, uh, and then, as you mentioned, uh, Jimmy, the, the do doctor slept through the TARDIS landing, uh, and which, you know, how could he sleep through it? Barbara's, you know, astonished. I, I have to note, I'm a bit of a, a design geek in some ways. The chair he's, he's sleeping in is a classic. Yeah. Eames Lounge and Ottoman. I mean, this is a, like, if you could get one of these today, it would be worth huge bucks. These are amazing uh, chairs from the 1960s. And back then, it was probably just something they had on another set they just grabbed and threw into the TARDIS set so we could sleep on it. Right. Yeah. As as they say, it epitomizes classic mid-century executive style and masculinity, as I, as I looked it up on a website. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, hey, that's one of those cool chairs that they used to have. <laughs> they, are, they are pretty cool chairs. I love how Barbara deduces that the Doctor has slept through the landing because she says there's this trembling. Now we're used to associating the the landing of the TARDIS with the wheezing sound effect. Right. But she's like, there's this trembling when we're in flight and it's stopped. And that's how she knows we've landed, even though some of the equipment is still going. And so they she and Ian wake the doctor up and she says, Doctor, the trembling is stopped and he says, Oh my dear, I'm so glad you're feeling better. <laughs> 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 yeah, yeah, and it's a uh, deep in the arms of Morpheus. He makes another uh, reference, the uh, uh, mythological reference, an idiom mm -hmm. that we have: uh, Morpheus, the god of sleep. And uh, yeah, they and then so they they look. They you know he determines they've landed. They look around in the scanner. They're in they, they're in someplace dark. They determine it's a cave, and uh, they they go out to to look around. And uh, and you mentioned how in his haste he forgets he absolutely mindedly asks, asks susan and then has that moment and barbara's because yeah, he, he, yeah. he's gonna have susan open the doors right and since she's not there barbara volunteers to learn how to open the doors which right. is really cool mm -hmm. it's a nice moment to kind of save the doctor that you know from that the pain oh to teach me doctor I'll, I'll learn you know so she's very caring for you know caring for him there um the doctor remembers this as a planet he's been to before which is interesting uh the, i think this might be the first non-earth planet they've been to that he's been to before uh, yes they reference. yeah he and susan referenced places they'd been before we met them but this is the first time of oh i've been here before yeah uh he tells ian and barbara to go explore while he goes back in for another nap which is yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then uh I, I love how at this moment, as he's about to go back in he turns to ian and says hand me that stone won't you boy and he's like Gives him a stone for no reason to go back in with his to take his nap. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> of course, there is a reason he wants the stone, but we don't know what it is yet. And so it comes across as, yeah, he's getting a little senile here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, he's not getting any younger, you know. And he does the hand waggle, and the doc <laughs> and that's when the doctor says, "Remember, I can hear what you're saying." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, 
Another thing I really like in this scene is as soon as they come out into the cave, Barbara says, what is that smell? It's not like anything I've smelled on Earth. And that's another nice sensory detail that we, the audience, wouldn't know because we see and hear what's happening to them, but we don't have the other senses engaged. So just like the trembling was a little sensory detail that we wouldn't have known if they didn't talk about it, the aroma of this new planet is something, and she doesn't say it's unpleasant, it's just not like anything she's familiar with on Earth. That's another nice little sensory detail we wouldn't know if they didn't tell us right. about. Well, and we would, we would assume, well, it's just a cave. It's going to have that damp, musty, you know, mildewy yeah. smell that caves have. You know, it's what you would right. think. And it's like, no. Earthy smell. Earthy yeah. smell. You know, it's like, no, it's something different. Get a dadoey smell instead. So, oh. uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so they, uh, Ian and Barbara go outside and they, they're on a ledge and they see the crashed spaceship broken in two, uh, you know, in the uh, down below before them. Uh, and then they're approached by this scary-looking creature with all these spikes yeah, coming out of it. The spiny insect mantis shrimp lobster man. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, now, I didn't know. This is partly due to the fault of like how poor the props and costuming has been. I didn't know that it wasn't supposed to be look like a costume that someone was wearing. Like in the end, we find out that that it's supposed to be a ceremonial costume. I think. On purpose, it was supposed to look like this is a creature. Okay, yeah. that the creature oh, yeah. looks yeah, like yeah. in, not just a person in a costume, even though it looks like a person in a costume because <laughs> it was a person in a costume. <laughs> okay, because because we'll find out at the end that it's a that it's supposed to look it's supposed to be a costume that someone is wearing, but we'll find out yeah you know, a ceremonial costume. But anyway, this scary creature approaches the TARDIS first and tries to get in and, and can't, uh, and then they see the crash ship. And then discuss whether to tell the doctor and turn around and see the scary bug creature that will turn out to be Coquillion. Uh, and uh, it talks to them and it asks them if they're the, you know, the only ones here. And Ian says, no, the doctor's here. I'll go, let me go fetch him. And as he goes to get the doctor, Barbara is not allowed to follow him. And it, it, she ends up, it ends up kind of pushing her off the cliff by frightening her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's ambiguous exactly yeah. what happens here because he's like, "I'm your friend. I'm not, you know, what's why are you reacting to me? I mean, it haven't you met a giant spiny insect mantis shrimp lobster man before?" <laughs> yeah. But Barbara's being freaked out by it, and so as she's retreating from him and he kind of is stepping forward, not coming it, professedly, he's not trying to menace her. Right. But she's feeling menaced, and she ends up falling off this, this cliff. Yes. You know, we, we don't know what happens to her right here, but uh, we cut to the TARDIS. The doctor's not napping, but he's got that rock that he had Ian hand him, and he's been examining it, and he determines that, yes, yes, we're at on the planet Dido. Uh, it'll, it'll be nice to meet these friendly people again after all these years, he says. Um, and, and he's talking to himself, He's yep. mm-hmm. is, which is funny. And that fits with the lobster shrimp man saying, I'm not your enemy. I'm trying to, I'm your right. friend. Right. Right. And then, uh, oh, there is a funny moment where he says, I wonder if I could, if I could convince Ian that I meant to land here on purpose. Oh, no, I was asleep. So that's not going to work. Which is yeah. <laughs> a nice funny moment. Uh, so Ian is inside the cave and Coquillion now p- pulls up this sort of alien crescent space wrench. Rent. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, and uses it to cause uh, an explosion that collapses the cave. Uh, and uh, the doctor comes running out of the TARDIS and uh, uh, he, he, with a flashlight. Uh, we see Barbara's at the bottom of the cliff, uh, unconscious, holding a broken branch, which was to 
assume that she's broken her fall by grabbing branches on the way down. By, uh, by the she way, later I, makes explicit. Yeah. By the way, I love the uh, I love the the, the, the high tech flashlight. You know, the big one with the with the large <laughs> battery pack at the bottom of it. You know, it's basically yes. like a spotlight with a large battery pack. Yeah. You know, high tech yes, flashlight yes. of the time. Oh, there's another piece of retro nostalgia technology that's coming up later. There's a real nostalgia movement apparently in the 25th century. Yeah. Yes. For yes. old fashioned looking tech. Well, the, with the doctor, <laughs> with the doctor though, I could see him actually have picked that up. You know, back in the 50s yeah. or something yeah. like that, because he just happened to have it laying around the TARDIS. Oh, this works. <laughs> yep. Well, all he's got his Eames chair. I mean, he's, he obviously likes the design uh, and language of the <laughs> 1960s. <laughs> Uh, so the first they like uh, Ian say, "Oh, Bar- where's Barbara? I heard her scream." And then there was the explosion, and uh, they're 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 trapped inside basically in the cave. They can't get out of yeah. the cave, and so they have to find another way out. And and Ian is telling him like, "We met this horrible monster, and it's like with all the spines and looks like a big mantis shrimp." And the, he's like, "Yeah, okay, well that's one of the friendly inhabitants." Right. <laughs> yeah. The doctor talks about uh, the the how you know the natives are friendly. They must have changed. Wonder what caused them to change. Hmm. Actually, that's it's Ian who thinks, well, people change, and the doctor's like, no, 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 no. There's no way these people change. There's they have a very small population. There's last time I was here, there were barely a hundred people, and so they're incentivized to not have conflict and to use their resources wisely. And of course, that's perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. If you've got a popul a whole entire planetary population of a hundred people. And you need to manage your resources wisely. I mean, you're not going to have conflicts in your group. I mean, right. like on that show Lost. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's no conflicts <laughs> among them. Right. Well, I mean, I, living in a small town, you know, we have no conflicts in small towns whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> well, the doctor does say, what could have happened to change them? I wonder. You know, that's sort of the mm. leading question. Uh, back at the uh, the crashed spaceship. Coquillian confronts Vicky, who had found Barbara and brought her back to the ship and hidden her inside. And he tells Vicky, you're not to go any further from the ship than 50 yards in the future. So he's obviously in control. You could tell he's uh, intimidating them. He's controlling their, their movements. And so he, he, he's making her say, you know, agree to not go. Because he obviously doesn't want her to, to discover uh, the doctor and companions out there, mm-hmm. not knowing she's already has, and then he goes to, to off to talk to Bennett. And one of the he he tells her, "This is for your protection. I'm the only yeah. one who can protect you." Classic abuser language, right? Yep. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. classic controlling abuser. So Vicky, meanwhile, once Coquillion is gone, tells Barbara that when her ship first crashed, the ship that she's on, uh, the that crashed, they had made contact with the natives. And she was sick at the time, Vicky was, but everyone else went to this big meeting, and then there was some kind of explosion. A party. A, yeah. A, a, well, yeah, she calls it a meeting, but it was, it was supposed to be like a, a reception or a mm-hmm. feast or that sort of thing. There was some sort of explosion, and only Bennett made it back, crawling on the ground because he'd been so badly injured he couldn't walk. And so he's bedridden now, and he and Coquillion told her that the natives killed the crew of the spaceship. So that's uh, mm. that's why they are where they are. And so Coquillion is protecting them from those natives, he says. Yeah, and they're waiting for the rescue ship to arrive in three days. And then Vicky shows Barbara Chekhov's flare gun. Yes. Yeah. Oh, by the way, here's the flare gun we're going to use to signal the ship. That, now we, and then we switch back to the Doctor and Ian making their way through the caves and the, and, uh, the Doctor talking about how I can't understand how the natives ch- have changed so much. 
uh, violence was totally alien to them. And they were, like we just were talking about back with Vicky and Barbara, Vicky gets mad at Barbara when she thinks that Barbara is pitying her. It's a very interesting reaction mm-hmm. she has. She doesn't want to be pitied for her situation. Yeah. And this is a mark of contrast to Susan in a way. Right. She's very assertive of, I don't want your pity. But, oh, another thing, I forgot to mention this. Uh, the the producers wanted Maureen O'Brien, who's blonde, mm-hmm. to dye her hair dark to look more like Susan. And Maureen O'Brien said, no, and if you want that, why don't you try to get Carol Ann Ford back? <laughs> so there's a little of that strength of personality there with Maureen O'Brien herself. Yes, yes, it certainly comes through. <laughs> yeah. So uh, when Bennett comes in, uh, he says that Coquillian has killed the doctor and ba- Ian and Barbara. So, you know, that that's that. But Vicky then reveals, oh, no, Barbara has survived. And Bennett doesn't seem at all pleased that Barbara has survived her fall unscratched. So mm. <laughs> uh, it's very so he, he has this interesting reaction. Why is he uh, unhappy? It's kind of hidden, though, because he's like struggling because he can't really stand and walk properly. And he basically collapses and they have to nurse him and stuff. So mm. he's got other apparent problems. Right. Uh, back in the cave, the doctor and Ian are on a uh, a very small ledge, uh, trying to make their way, and they see a creature down below that looks a lot like Coquillian, except it's more feral. It's it's like a yeah. uh, it it's like a it's like a crocodile kind of looking thing. Yeah, uh, and we, kind of cl- sort of a ripped crocodile slug thing with spikes. Yep. But I did like mm. yeah, I did like <laughs> the fact, and it's called a sand beast. Yeah, and I liked the fact that. It looks kind of like Coquillian, because that tells us the biology on this planet is related. They're putting some mm-hmm. thought into it, so that it's like okay, the you know, like here on Earth, Earth creatures like mammals right. are going to have a similar look compared to a parallel taxonomic group on another planet, and so it kind of makes some sense that the humanoid life forms here would have characteristics in common with other life forms on the same planet. Except in the end, it's not, right? I assume it's based on something that did live there. Even well, though no. we later learned that it Coquillian's mask is just a mask. Right. I assume it's based on other creatures. I mean, if you look here on Earth right. at cultures that use ceremonial masks, the mask looks like something or a right, combination right. Mask, of some yeah. things. The mask looks like the sand beast, yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, I think I do think it was to you know reiterate that this you know this 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 person is, is you know he is an alien and he's not human or he's humanoid but he's not doesn't look like a human and that's what they're trying to right. reinforce you know as well. Which then we get the twist later on. Which I I'll, when we get to that I have I have comments on that how confusing it was. But but they, so they do see this creature down below and so they want to make sure they don't fall down there with it. And then they find these handles set into the wall. Like, wow, these these are nice, nice convenient handles for helping us get along here. <laughs> uh, but then when Ian uh, pulls on one, he springs a trap, which is the classic thing that's coming out of the wall, pushing you toward the edge where you're going to fall very it, slowly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, and it's it's a sword trap. So for the yeah. first thing that happens is is two rows of swords spring out on either side of Ian. 
and then a bunch of swords in the middle start pushing him towards the ledge to topple him over to where the sand beast is. Yeah. And Ian should have made the point, so... Doctor, this trap has been here for a while. I think your friendly natives were a little less friendly than you remember them if they're building <laughs> booby traps like this into their walls. Right, right. It, it randomly placed inside this cave where, you know, for some reason. Uh, he is able to escape it pretty easily, though, so uh, maybe the, the native Didoans uh, are, are are slower. I like the way he escapes, too. Doc, the doctor tells him, take off your coat and put it over the swords, which they say are razor sharp, but yeah. you, you, like, put it over the swords on one side, and then you can kind of step around them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, a, you know, it's I could design a better trap, but, <laughs> I mean, a more lethal one, but yeah. given the trap we have, that's actually a nice solution. Yeah. Yes, yes. So uh, back on the ship, uh, Bennett has collapsed uh, and is just reviving, and uh, Vicky goes to get water outside and there's this in that same the sand beast creature uh is seen to be sneaking up on her and barbara you know grabs the Chekhov's flare gun and comes out and shoots it and uh vicky gets gets angry at barbara because turns out really angry yeah that that the creature wasn't threatening her it was a pet essentially that she had called sandy that she trained yeah yeah Yeah, she trained it to come here to get food and uh, on on the TARDIS wiki, it said, I, if, if this was in the episode, I missed it. It went by too fast. But apparently, Vicky allegedly said that those are those are herbivores. Right. So it's like yeah. it's a veggie dino. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. She essentially says that it's um, that she trained it to, to, to come for food and eat food. Yeah. From that's her. the line I caught. Yep. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. And what the interesting thing is, it sets up this. This now this conflict between Vicky and Barbara, which is going to uh, create more, you know, amp up the danger factor when to the the con- the, the conflict with Kukilian, you know. So it's going to mm-hmm. ke- create the separation among our heroes, uh, which complicates the, how they deal with Kukilian in the end. So at this point, the Doctor and Ian show up at the spaceship, the the crash spaceship. Kukilian, meanwhile, comes out of in that same tunnel. And sees the Doctor and Ian's footsteps, so he knows now that they've survived as well. They're trying to convince Vicky to help them overpower Coquillion, but she gets mad and tells them that she's been there a long time, and the others just got here, and you're ruining everything. <laughs> like, like she just like you, you're all just showing up, and suddenly you want to take over and tell me what to do. And the Doctor here becomes very gentle, very grandfatherly, very That's kindly. That's the adjective. Yeah. Yes, grandfatherly, and he and he he sends the others outside, and he talks to her, and we're only trying to help you. And she's holding this grudge against Barbara, but the doctor tells her, you know, give her another chance. She's really very nice, and she tells the doctor that he wouldn't, w- you know, you wouldn't have shot Sandy because you don't have the sort of face that kills things. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a gorgon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, <clears throat> then. Uh, the doctor's like, okay, now let me let me go talk to Bennett in his room. I, you know, I want to talk to this this fellow here and and, and kind of figure things out. And um, he he goes. The doctor goes to Bennett's room and tries to open it, and the door is blocked somehow. And and you hear you Bennett can't on the come other, in. Yeah, you can't come in. And so the doctor grabs a piece of wreckage and starts bashing down the door. Yeah, with <laughs> his, his eye beam. Um, and then uh, Vicky and Barbara make up and they apologize. And uh, we get. Vicky's backstory. This is the year twenty four ninety three. 
Ian and Barbara Teller. They came from 1963. And, tra- and they- Vicky says, oh, that means you're about 550 years old. <laughs> yeah, and, Ian thinks and, it's hysterical. <laughs> yeah, Ian and thinks Barbara it's hysterical. Is, Barbara looks nonplussed. <laughs> yeah, Bar- Barbara is like, well, that's one way of looking at it, and I shall try not to look at it that way very often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Also, given the numbers, I mean, that would imply that that Barbara's like meant to be twenty years old. Yeah, and it's like ah, ah, no, no, no. Barbara's not twenty years old. No, <laughs> Barbara's a little older than that. I think they're just being nice. <laughs> so when the uh, the doctor does finally break into Bennett's room, he finds Bennett isn't there, but this recording is there yeah, to make it seem like the, he is on the super vintage reel to reel tape recorder so it's like we've got real tech nostalgia in the 25th century oh yes yes uh, <laughs> and uh also bennett apparently has microphones to uh throughout the ship to listen in you know the intercom to listen into what everyone else is doing because uh, he hears the doctor hears the others talking in the other room and he's he f- got a trap door he finds a trap door uh with spaceships with trap doors that's kind of uh dangerous but okay <laughs> don't well, leave on get, that you gotta get to flight. the access corridor somehow i guess <laughs> yeah but uh, so when Ian and Barbara go to find him, he he's gone. They no one's there. Uh, but that's because the doctor went through the trap door and f- and found that it leads to the tunnel, the door in the tunnel that they were in the cave that Coquillian had come out of earlier. So connection, and behind it is some kind of chamber that the doctor yeah. goes into. It's it's like a door to a secret smoky temple chamber with the incense already going in great quantities. Yes, yes. But before that, we've got a little scene with Vicky and Ian and Barbara where they're bonding after their tiff, and they're talking about the doctor. And this is actually while he's he's listening on the intercom, which is how we know that Bennett had microphones. Right. But the doctor's overhearing their conversation, and Vicky is like, why does the doctor wear such funny clothes and have that long white hair? And to me, you know, growing up when I did and living now, I don't really, you know, the first time I saw this, I hadn't really thought too much about, oh, wow, the doctor's hair is really long for the early, for mm-hmm. the early 1960s. Because yeah. today, hair length is a purely a matter of taste. Right. And, you know, um, in a way it wasn't back then when there was an expectation that you'd have more limited range of hairstyles than you do today. But yeah, okay, so the doctor does look eccentric, not just in his clothes, but he's a long hair Yeah, <laughs> from a 60s perspective. And Barbara is like, yeah, well, you got to understand he's from a different time and a different planet. So of course, he's a proto-hippie in Victorian clothes, <laughs> right. is the implication. But the doctor kind of smirks as they're, as they're talking about him like that. And Vicky doesn't, you know, kind of doesn't believe them that he's a time traveler. You know that that whole thing, like they're trying have having to try to convince her. Yep. Uh, so when when the others can't find the doctor in Bennett's room, Ian tells uh, Vicky and Barbara to go back to the TARDIS. Go to the TARDIS. Uh, wait for us there. Although, because we know so, that's where the doctor will go eventually. Yeah. Of course, mm-hmm. there's still the rock fall. So they're going to go have to go through the cave and the dangerous tunnel with the trap. But yeah, but the, now they know to avoid the trap. They got past that. Yes, that's true. Uh, I just thought it was they. We we kind of glide over that in, in the uh, dialogue. Uh, mm-hmm. So in the chamber, the doctor's sitting with his back to the door as Coquillian comes in, and the doctor says, "Oh, I've been waiting to talk to you," uh, mm-hmm. and then reveals that he knows Coquillian is Bennett. That's right. Dum dum dum. And 
Bennett, uh, like all uh, villains, begins monologuing about what's what's really going on. Well, the doctor prompts him. I mean, the doctor asks a question, and this is really good. I like this. The doctor also notes it's ironic we're in the Didoan's Hall of Judgment. Yes. You know, that, and so tell me now about your evil plan, because um, he says there's got to be a reason why you're doing all this. And right. that had been bugging me. Now, if I had been a kid watching this in the 60s or even an adult watching this in the 60s, it wouldn't have bugged me because... I would have known there was something shady with Bennett, but I might not have put together the fact that he's Coquillian, given how different they look and how Mm -hmm. I'm expecting costumed monsters to look like a costume. Yes. But I've seen this one before. It had been a long time, and I knew that Bennett is Coquillian. And so I found myself all the way through going, why on earth would Bennett do be doing this i mean mm-hmm. why is it there's a rescue ship on the way mm-hmm. why is he terrifying this girl by pretending to be this monstrous creature you know what is what is the motive for this and and so the doctor now very quickly after the reveal asks what's the motive and which is the right question and he gives a great answer I was really impressed by this. This was a, I mean, they could have just glossed it over in some half-baked way, and they didn't. Bennett has a really intelligible motive. His motive is this. I was on, when I was on the the ship on the way to the planet Astra, I killed a crewman, and they arrested me. Hmm. But knowledge of my crime had not yet been transmitted to Earth. So when we crashed here, I saw a ch- I knew a rescue ship would be coming and I saw a way to get around my crime so that I could go scot free. My way to do it was to to arrange an explosion at the reception that the Didoans threw for us. So all the Didoans died, all my fellow crewmen died, and there's no witnesses now to the fact I killed this guy. So now all I have to do is keep Vicky from getting wise and exploring and investigating and stuff. So that's why I assumed the Coquillian persona, to, and also to explain why everybody died so I could blame it on the aliens. And by being a menacing alien in her presence, she will be perfectly happy after this to testify, oh yeah, the Didoans were horrible. They killed all those people. And that'll confirm my story. And so when the rescue ship gets here, I'll have Vicky as a witness on my side to the hostility of the aliens, and nobody will know what I've done because apparently they didn't tell Vicky on the ship, and I can get off scot-free. And it's like, okay, that's reasonable enough for government work. It yeah. makes <laughs> enough sense. I'm happy. Right, right. That it, it's, it closes the loop on that, and it, yeah. which is good. And, and there's, also, one thing, it, there's one it, thing that went by kind of quick too is they the doctor they hinted through the doctor looking around this chamber that there was more to Cotillion than being a an alien creature because he opens up his chest and there's all these different garb robes and vestments and, stuff, yeah. and robes and things like that so that that's where he kind of gets this idea of okay there's something else going on here other than what it, more than it appears and that's where right. then it leads to that that whole. Yeah, the doctor points out that the stuff you're wearing is like ceremonial garb. Like, I, yep. I know already, I've been here before, I know that what you're wearing is not what these aliens look like. It is the ceremonial garb that they wear. 
and you might wear that kind of stuff if you're greeting alien dignitaries, which is why he would have asked Ian, oh, did it have, did it look like a giant, you know, mantis shrimp? Right. And it's like, yeah, okay, well, then that would have been the uh, Didoans coming out in their ceremonial greeting dress. Yes. Also, because Bennett thinks he's killed all of the Didoans, that means he's not just a murderer, he's a genocide. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah, he killed an entire race to cover his crime. As the he tells the doctor that, you know, I'm going to kill you and Ian and Barbara, the doctor's fiddling with that Didoan uh, wrench club Space thingy. wrench. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and then attacks Bennett with it, and they struggle. It, it, it goes off, and it, something explodes by the door. You know, it shoots at the door. Then the club breaks in the struggle, so the doctor grabs a sword conveniently located there. Yeah, swashbuckling. And he yep. goes after uh, Bennett with it, which is good, but uh, Bennett blocks with a chair, and Bennett starts throttling the doctor. We, we've got a, like a Gollum Frodo moment going here, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then these two men in white <laughs> appear uh, behind them in this ch- hall of justice, and I'm and I have to admit, I'm sitting there going, "Who are these guys? Like, are they crew members that survived? What, what's going on?" I didn't get for a while that they oh. were actually Didoans. That this oh. is what, that Didoans looked human. I mm-hmm. hadn't figured out that the that the Coquillian isn't what the Didoans look actually looked like. So I I, I kind of I, I I I was a little lost at this point. So I, I have to admit. Yeah, and these so these guys come in and like they're blonde and they're wearing their space clothes and they look yeah. very m- mystical, magical, and intimidating or something. And yes. they basically, oh, they don't even say anything. They have nope. no lines, but they just start walking towards Bennett, and he's like, "No, no!" And he's backing away from them, and he falls over a cliff and screams and dies. Yes, yep. he runs out the door and runs off the cliff, <laughs> which is you know seems appropriate. And then the doctor passes out here. You know, he passes out from being throttled by Bennett, and uh, but then wakes up in the TARDIS. Uh, you know, Barbara saying, "Oh, he's coming around." And they have this moment where they're kind of go over what happened and you know who who he was, uh, who Bennett was pretending to be. Uh, and this is when the doctor invites Vicky to come traveling with him. She has no one left. Her mother had died when she was young. Her father was traveling with her to this planet uh, to get a new start in life and he's now dead so she has no one left so the doctor says well then come with us you know it, mm-hmm. she's waiting outside but uh, but he says you know he goes out and invites her to come with him and they don't have to do that because there's a rescue ship coming right, right. so she could choose to stay yes uh with yeah that's an interesting difference is, 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 is or an interesting wrinkle in this is that they're inviting her even though they don't it's not for her you know to save her, it's just to to give her someone to to be with, and uh, she does the whole. Uh, she comes in and it's bigger on the inside, which is uh, mm-hmm. still new. Uh, <laughs> I like how you can see some of the plastic roundels on the door are held there with staples. Yeah, as she comes in, <laughs> right. So, and then as they they you know they go inside. You know, yes, I'd like to travel with you. And then we have uh, back on the spaceship where there is anybody there, as far as we know. We we get the transmission from the rescue ship. Oh, rescue ship to Dido. We're 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 ready to come in. And the uh, the men in white, the the Dido ones, come in and they smash the radio mm-hmm. for some reason. Just uh, apparently so that well, the rescue yeah. ship doesn't land. Well, it looks like they're just engaging in a little bit of fun teenage vandalism, but 
the we cut back to the TARDIS and the doctor is explaining to Ian that I don't think they'll allow the rescue ship to land. And so that gives us the context of what they're doing. They're breaking the transmitter so that somehow that will prevent the rescue ship from well, landing. Maybe they'll conclude everybody's dead or something if they don't make contact. Right. Or, well, then wasn't I thought there was a point too where it said something about how they had to you know, guide them down or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right. So they if, they don't, if they don't get a response, then they're, they don't try to land. Yep. But after their most recent encounter with an arriving human ship, one could understand <laughs> why they would not want to greet another one anytime soon. You've right. basically you've killed our people because there's only two of us left and we're both dudes and so we're extinct. Yeah. Uh, so Well, I'm I'm headcanoning they've got, you know, other Didoans survived too, so their race <laughs> their race is not actually doomed. Okay, let's 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 assume that. Yes. Uh so uh they the doctor says, "Oh, now now that that's over with, let's go somewhere where we can maybe we can get a nice rest this time." Uh, and then they materialize on the edge of a cliff, and the TARDIS falls off, and that's where we will begin the next story, uh, which will be the slave traders. No, well, the the name of the arc is the Romans. Oh, right, the Romans. Right, the next episode is slave traders. Yeah, yeah and it's got Nero in it, and so it's mid first century Rome. Nice, including the Great Fire of Rome. Is this one that survives in video yes. form? Okay. Yep. Good. Yeah, and there's like some comedy with the Doctor and Nero kind of outdoing each other and Nero chasing Barbara and all <laughs> kinds of things. Okay. It's a uh, pure historical? Yes. Okay. Cool. All right. Uh so that's going to be uh the next first Doctor story that we do. Uh, and that's the end of this story. So uh, any uh any last notes Father Cory? I kind of like this one. Nice, short, and sweet. Um, Vicky was definitely, a, even though she was, she was supposed to be a teenager from the 20, 25th century, she was definitely a teenager of the 1960s, including the, the very short dress. <laughs> right, the, the fashions. Hey, very it's that 20, 20, 25th century, 20th century nostalgia. You know, I, I guess they're going, going back to the, you know, the 23rd century with Star Trek. You know, they're just kind of going back yeah. to that fashion again. So <laughs> That's right, that's right. Jimmy? I liked the fact that we had Bennett malingering. Uh, that, you know, that was, that was neat to mm -hmm. see how thoroughly he was doing that. It's interesting when, when we get, finally get back in the TARDIS at the end of the episode and the doctor wakes up, he's like, how did we get here? And Ian says, I took the liberty of borrowing your TARDIS key. Mm -hmm. And right. they hadn't established yet that the TARDIS keys are biometric. Right. That w they would in the third doctor's time. So unless you're an approved person unless you're an approved user the key won't let you into the TARDIS and so apparently the doctors put Ian and Barbara on the approved list since they were able to get in there's also a moment at at the end where the doctor is explaining to Vicky about what Bennett was doing and she has this kind of two realizations that I think Maureen O'Brien acts really nicely the first one her acting is good the first one she says well then then Bennett murdered my father, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and she's been viewing him up to this time as this invalid that she was taking care of. And now to realize he blew up my father at that yeah. reception. Wow. And then so then she, the second realization, then I have nobody because she's been taking care of Bennett. She was like the last thing, you know, uh, that was and, and that was meaningful to her. It was comforting in the death of her father that it, at least she had this other person she should she could take care of. Now he's a total villain, I and and dead, and yeah. so now I have nobody. 
and that helps propel her into becoming a companion. Also, in at the very end, when the TARDIS is teetering on this ledge, that's transferring to the inside of the TARDIS, so everybody is being pitched wildly about. Mm. It's not just the effects of gravity are happening on the outside of the of the capsule. They're transmitting to the inside. That is a serious design flaw. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because if you could just batter around the outside of the of a TARDIS and have all that kinetic energy and gravity transferring to the inside, you could easily kill everybody inside. Yes. Yes. So that's a serious <laughs> design flaw. <laughs> uh so uh I think that should do it for us then this time. Uh we'll we'll want to take a moment before we finish up to Thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including John S., Joseph S., Penny H., Adam L., and Daniel R. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So, that's it from us. What do you think of the first Doctor story, The Rescue? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or by sending an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the second Doctor story, The Evil of the Daleks. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me in sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Tom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Tom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, if that's a sample of how friendly they are, I'll take the Daleks anytime. Right. This is going to be fun.